Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin bulls beware of the digital currency touching its highest level in nearly three years. But the chart master says a crypto crash could be coming. The three charts that have him so worried. Plus, shares of NVIDIA on the move in the after hours on earnings. The company's call is now underway. We'll bring you all the big headlines. And later, Steve Grasso is stepping up to the plate to pitch his next best idea why he says this stay-at-home stock is truly a sound investment. We start off with a late-day sell-off on Wall Street. Stocks slammed into the close as headlines hit on the coronavirus. New York City, the nation's largest school system, is halting all in-person learning starting tomorrow. The news comes as a number of coronavirus cases and hospitalizations continue to shatter records nationwide. But there was a bright spot in today's sell-off that caught our attention. Check out the XRT retail ETF. It had a new all-time high today before pulling back with the broader market. Still managed to finish the day in the green thanks to strong reports from Target and TJX. So we've got a record number of COVID cases in America and retailers are hitting record highs. Guy, how could this make any sense? Not preposterous, and we've talked about it. I mean, they're the have and the have-nots. You know, kudos to Karen, Tim, and Steve. They've been talking about a lot of these names. But, for example, target numbers were extraordinary. And it it should come as no surprise because that's a name that we've talked about for a while. We've said that if you like Walmart at a certain valuation, you have to love Target at their valuation. And lo and behold, it's really growing in and approaching to where Walmart's trading. Walmart quarter I thought was very good. I mean, there are a lot of great individual stories but I don't think it speaks to the economy per se. It just speaks to certain retailers doing very well. There are names we also mentioned that seem to be topping out. You know, the, the price action in a restoration hardware, a Williams-Sonoma, and we don't need to go down necessarily the road of what they sell. But all those stocks seemingly topped out a couple weeks ago and appear to be having trouble here. That's concerning. The one name or two names that are interesting, do you want to play at the $100 table, gap earnings, I believe, on the 24th? Uh, so next week, and Macy's tomorrow. I mean, I would submit that Macy's could trade up to the June high, which I think is $9.60, squeeze out all the shorts, and then you sell it again. Yeah, Karen, what do you make of the move in retail and, and TJX? I mean, the home goods business is what really helped the TJX quarter, which makes complete sense with people spending on throw pillows and, and fur blankets and things like that. Um, but the reinstatement of the dividend is really interesting. Yeah, it is interesting to me when you, you know, Guy just talked about Macy's. They don't have the balance sheet to think about reinstating the dividend, but we're seeing it now a couple of times. TJX, I thought that quarter was fantastic. And as you said, it was home goods that really drove it. But even for their more traditional business, it was only down 10. Canada was down 7. International down 6. That's not bad. So they're talking about um, reinstating the dividend and increasing it, I believe, in March of next year. I don't actually get why companies feel that they need to do that. I mean, maybe they want to flex their balance sheet and, you know, show people how strong their balance sheet is. I don't really get it because I don't feel like we're fully all the way through this pandemic. We saw Kohl's do it. 
Um, we saw Target, which was an outstanding quarter, as Guy said. They, I believe, are going to maybe be reinstating their buyback. So we're starting to see it, and I don't really understand completely why. But uh, actually, no, it was Lowe's, who, who that was a miss for today. That was the retail low point. We can get to that later. But uh, I don't get why companies feel the need to increase their dividend or even you know, someone like Disney who discontinued their dividend temporarily. I think they should keep it either zero or low for a while. I don't know why they need to, to come out and be so aggressive. Yeah, I mean, especially if they can't forecast earnings for the fourth quarter, Tim, but they're saying, oh, well, but we'll reinstate the dividend for the fourth quarter. That We've got clarity into that. We don't have clarity into, into our actual earnings report. I mean, that, that seems kind of unusual. What, what did you make of the retail move today? Well, yeah, I, again, I, I don't. I agree. I don't know. I don't know why a dividend has to be part of it, especially unless you're not an oil company um, where people have been living off that dividend. The retail story, uh, as we talked about with the XRT, very impressive. But some of these trends, uh, I think, have been in place for some time. In fact, look at the XRT against the S&P uh, going back one year and it's outperformed the S&P by 13 uh, percent. And if you look the, pre- the previous four years, again, it had been an awful story. The point is, has there been a changing of character and has this been going on uh, slowly but surely also, like many other trends, accelerated by COVID. So the dynamics in terms of digital sales, uh, a more lean and efficient business model, in many cases with some of the, uh, the worth stories in retail, which we knew around mall traffic, uh, Macy's, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, some of these have been turnaround stories that have been based upon uh, also getting into restructuring much faster, L brands. So uh, I think some of those trends are very much alive. I think the Lowe's numbers today were not, uh, not bad at all. In fact, those comps were, were were very, very strong. The, the question was on the gross margin. With such a great quarter, people thought some of that should be, you know, the business should be more profitable. Uh, the move in lows all the way back through 150 takes you through that, you know, kind of that July high, and maybe you get back to 135. But I think you start buying lows here. And I think if you, if you look at Target today, um, Target with those U.S. comps, the question everyone wants to know is, what can they do after COVID? And I think that's what the retail, uh, especially big box, hardline staples are going to be struggling with over the next couple quarters. Well, Steve, I don't know how you're going to buy your toilet paper after the pandemic. I'm still going to buy it online. I mean, I think that they're <laughs> or a big part of the population. Um, they become so used to it and it's become so convenient that returning to the store, a store like a Target or a store like a Walmart, it, it may not be you know, as appealing, seeing how convenient it is to order online. Sure. I have about five closets that are still filled with toilet paper. So if anyone needs anything, hit me at Acrosso, Steve, and I'll be glad to ship oh, it you're for that free. Guy. But having said that, exactly. I'm the guy. I'm the guy. But I, I, I took it and I bought it legally, Tim. So I definitely waited my turn in line. But I keep going. I keep at both ways. I keep going and I keep going. So I will tell you, I love the canned laughter. I like where Guy was going originally on this. I like the haves and the have nots. And for me... You know what this is going to turn into, a would you rather, and I would rather sell Target, Lowe's, Home Depot, and I'd rather buy Kohl's. That sounds terrible, and I know everyone kind of scratches their head, but just think about this. Kohl's will definitely make more money than they did this year, next year. I'm, I'm, I'm firm on that, and I'm 100% positive on that. Can Target keep its multiple the same? Because it has to, to either move sideways or up. It has to hold on to that multiple or a Home Depot or a Lowe's. So in the game of would you rather, I'd buy Macy's 40 percent short interest. 
this thing doesn't take much to make it pop. And mm-hmm. I would buy Kohl's down 43% year to date. Right. Um, so Steve Grasso is sitting at the $100 table along with his cartons of toilet paper. Karen, it's funny that Steve mentions Kohl's <laughs> and Macy's because you were actually looking at the debt of both. I was. I was looking at the debt of both. It's sort of, to me, a tale of two cities. So we saw, obviously, I don't know if we have that chart up, but we saw these are similar bonds. They're senior, unsecured. Obviously, they're two different companies, but just to give you a sense. So they both went down dramatically in March, and then Kohl's, obviously, that balance sheet is in very good shape. So now their bonds trade above par. Macy's, while the bonds have rallied back, they're still trading at a big discount to par, and these mature in 2024. So I think that I would rather, if I were, would you rather myself, I would rather be long holes and short Macy's. And, and I, to me, the Macy's run already is a little bit excessive. Plus, they do have a lot of New York City centricity that Coles doesn't have, which has been a tough place to be. So I would be halfway with Steve. Long Coles, short Macy's. Yeah, we're going to try and fix Karen's audio. But to bottom line that, based on how the debt is trading, Karen would rather Coles over Macy's. Let's do some more digging into what the debt market is telling us about these retail records. Joining us now is BondClick CEO Chris White. Chris, great to see you. Um, Karen has been digging into debt. You live debt. So what are you seeing in the retail space? Yeah, I think that this is really the story right now because um, there was a lot of excitement in the bond market as soon as the COVID news came out or the vaccine news came out. And you would expect that because most bond market investors are looking at the long term. So they're investing in the future. Uh, But when we look at clothing retailers, in particular Macy's, I think the question is going to be what happens when Macy's comes back to the market um, to issue bonds again, not necessarily where the bonds are trading today, but what's going to happen when they, they need to refinance the debt that's already out there. And, and you make the point, Chris, and I think this is important for our viewers to know that, that Macy's is already a zombie company. It it doesn't make enough money to cover interest payments, right? Yeah. If it's the first time that you're hearing the term zombie, um, on this broadcast, you're probably going to hear it a lot going forward, definitely into 2021, uh, there was a recent article out on Bloomberg Quint where they're talking about the $1.4 trillion in outstanding debt that's been issued by companies that don't have the revenues to be able to or, or the earnings to be able to service the interest on that debt. So either that company is going to borrow more money or they're going to go under. And that's the position that Macy's is in as a retailer. Hey, Chris, so it's interesting. We find ourselves at a point where if the economy, global economy, is improving and interest rates start to go up, it would suggest some of these retailers would be in a great spot. But my question to you is, would rising interest rates potentially be catastrophic to some of these names vis-a-vis what you were just talking about? Yeah, this is why the Fed's role in in terms of uh, participating both in the primary and the secondary markets is going to be key to how some of these companies survive, because You've got interest rates low in order to keep many of these companies solvent. And really, the solvency is their ability to, to borrow money without having to, to pay you know, double-digit interest rates um, for the pleasure of doing so. Uh, so so, so that's, that's really the game that's being played right now to, to avoid exactly what you're talking about. Because if interest rates were to normalize, I think a lot of these companies would be in trouble. So Tim was going to jump in with a question, Chris, but I'll continue on this oh. on this note. Um, the zombie companies, are they mostly in one particular sector? I mean, you know, oil comes to mind, but, you know, does retail have many examples of this? 
Yeah, well, Macy's the only sort of name retailer that's fitting into into that uh, category. I mean, I, I love I love that you pulled up the Kohl's data beforehand because bond investors are pretty savvy about this stuff. They they know who can pay their debts and who can't, and they're going to price the debt accordingly in the secondary market. Um, it's actually across the board until where you're finding zombie companies. It's very important that uh, people look into how companies are servicing their debt before they make a debt or equity investment at this point. Because really what it comes down to is, is the Fed going to be there to help out uh, this particular company or this industry? And if the answer is no, I think you're in trouble as an investor. Yeah. Chris, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Chris White. Um, Tim, what do you make of the zombie yes. company? How are you? <laughs> you're so, here. Sorry. It's like gremlins tonight. Well, I was a zombie <laughs> on the screen for, for a second there. So, so. <laughs> You know, the story around a, a retailer and is the Fed going to support, are they strategically, uh, you know, important, et cetera? You know, I, probably not. Um, Macy's, like other retailers, uh, is, is, first of all, uh, certainly on, on the verge of some significant cash crunch. But they were able to raise a billion three uh, in the last six months. They have a $3 billion revolver. They're going to get through 21. They're going to get through 22. And in fact, their last quarter, part of that surprise was they actually generated a little cash. They also advised, I think you're going to hear in this third quarter, there was a little bit more of a cash burn. Uh, the bottom line is that their digital sales were up 53%. It's a business that has restructured on the fly. It's not where it needs to go, but they've done and they've made investments and they've had success in parts of their retail chain. Uh, and I also just mean in in the home part, in beauty. Uh, these are areas and segments that I think they needed to 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 grow in. And look, one of the keys for the equity investors, and I've been adding to a Macy's position over the last couple of weeks. It's been a nice run. And the question was, do you hold it through earnings? There's a 40 percent short interest on this stock. Uh, and I don't think the expectation is that the third quarter is going to be extraordinary. So I think they need to give you a little bit of a glimmer. And I think the stock can move higher. Yeah, I mean, for Macy's, Gap, Limited Brands, which had report, uh, reported earnings after the belt today as well. Nordstrom, all have issued debt in the past seven months to remain solvent. solvent. Um, for, for some time, Karen, and, and maybe that's the bridge to that other side of the vaccine, which looks like it could be sooner rather than later. Maybe. I think, you know, Macy's has had this strategy for a few years of trying to monetize their real estate, and they've done that for a number of properties. I don't think they, uh, they might have some left, so that's one lever that they potentially have. The last lever they kind of have, they can't be in the debt markets, is to issue equity, which, you know, we saw with the airlines, they were sort of loath to do more of that. that that's sort of the last ditch thing they can do. It is a possibility to get them there. All right. Speaking of vaccines, we've got some big news out of Pfizer today. New data on its coronavirus vaccine. Meg Terrell's got the details. Meg. Melissa, well, it seems like every day we get some more vaccine news, but Pfizer actually has the final efficacy look at its COVID-19 vaccine phase three trial. And it looks even better than the interim look we got last week. 95% efficacy in preventing cases of COVID-19, 94% in adults over 65. So good news that you see that protection across age groups in the trial. Now, there were 170 total cases that they saw at this final look. 162 of those cases were among people on placebo, only eight on vaccine. They also 
saw protection against severe disease, 10 cases of severe COVID in the trial, nine of which were on placebo. Now, the company also saying it passed the safety milestone it needs to be able to file for FDA's emergency use authorization. And the vaccine looks well tolerated, no serious safety concerns. They did say that there are some uh, intense side effects like headache and fatigue that can follow the second dose for a small number of people. So some people might feel that when they take the vaccine. Uh, the companies plan to submit uh, their application to the FDA within a few days. And Melissa, I heard from two people familiar with the FDA's plans that they are thinking about holding uh, an advisory committee meeting on vaccines December 8th, 9th, and 10th. And at those meetings, they could be discussing both Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines. That is a really key step ahead of potential authorization. So we are looking at potentially middle of December for these vaccines to get out there on the market. Uh, now, we've talked a little bit about how the different companies are approaching this from a pricing standpoint. We've got uh, a look here at how much these vaccines are really shaping up to cost per price uh, per dose. Now, Pfizer's is $19.50 per dose, and this is a two-shot regimen. That's based on the deal they struck with Operation Warp Speed for almost $2 billion for 100 million doses. Now, Moderna's is $15.25, uh, also based on a similar deal. Moderna would argue, though, they got almost a billion dollars to support their development. So uh, at when you add that in, it's about $25 a dose. And both of these companies do plan to profit from the vaccine. Some of the others here you see uh, are doing this on a nonprofit basis, at least during the pandemic. Mel? All right, Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell with all the latest there. Uh, Steve Grasso, not too much of an impact today, not surprising since we, we digested this a week ago or so. Yeah, you know what's interesting on these is that all the vaccine plays topped out in July, they all came in, and then this latest news headline flurry, they all popped above their July highs, but they're back in below the July highs now. You don't really get a rally in the vaccine names multiple times for the same news. So uh, while I own Pfizer, I've owned Pfizer for decades. I'm still staying long Pfizer, but I would not be buying any of these companies on a vaccine play. I think it's an overshot. Guy, you're making a similar point about that uh, price action in these stocks. Yeah, and Karen said it for a while, mm -hmm. and I'm sure she can speak to it, so I want to steal her thunder. But what I said was about Pfizer specifically. I mean, look how poorly it's traded since last Monday's announcement. I mean, we know it traded 42 because we talked about uh, some of the selling that insiders did. Legally, of course, all good for them, but we mentioned that price, and here it is at 37 and I know for a fact this week when Moderna was trading either side of 100, you know, we said that's a gift. And, you know, if you've if enjoyed the ride, you should be pulling the ripcord. And then we find ourselves around $88 or so today. I mean, not to cast aspersions, but that's been the truth with many of these names. And Gilead started this whole ball rolling, and you see where that stock's trading. So Karen's point all along has been play the downstream names. That's been correct. And Steve's right in terms of Pfizer. There are many reasons to own Pfizer. I never thought uh, the vaccine was one of them. All right, coming up, the crypto craze is back. But the chartmaster says beware why Carter Worth says the recent Bitcoin breakout is ready for a breather. But first, check out shares of NVIDIA on the move after reporting earnings. That conference call is currently underway. We'll bring you all the details when Fast Money returns. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey 
can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on NVIDIA, the stock hitting after hours lows on earnings. Josh Lipton's got the details. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, heading into this print, that stock was up about 130% this year. It was up about 200% from the March low, now ticking lower here in the after hours. I did catch up with Mitch Steves over at RBC. He covers the name. I wanted his take on the print. Says it's $2.3 billion in gaming. He calls that a significant beat. The $1.9 billion, though, in data center, Mitch saying, was basically in line with raised expectations. And, of course, that is the profit center of the company. Gross margin guidance, Mitch says, of 65.5%. That, in his words, could have been a bit better. So waiting to hear more on the call about the puts and takes there as well as uh, more about the guidance and forecast. Mitch, though, bottom line, remains a bull. I asked him why. He says this is most simply the best pure play on artificial intelligence. On the call, executives saying Q3 was strong. They talked about their new family of chips called Ampere, which they say is ramping. They talked about that decision to buy ARM for $40 billion. Says they are now working through the regulatory process on that. Gaming record $2.3 billion. Automotive revenue up sequentially, though down year over year. Again, the call waiting for more color about those gross margins, the data center segment, and their forecast. We'll bring you those headlines as we get them. Back to you all. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton. Uh, Tim Seymour, what do you think of the quarter here? Look, the numbers were fantastic. It's really just about expectations and about a bar that's set so high. Look, I mean, data center, incredible. Uh, and, and I think we've, we've known about the strength in gaming uh, up, you know, mid-60s. So, I, I, you know, I, I think it's really just about the multiple for this company. But I, I've been saying multiple on NVIDIA for a couple hundred dollars. So I'll, I'll color myself someone that's been skeptical uh, about the multiple, very bullish on the company. And I think you have to be right there. Yeah, for all those uh, other chip companies that said weak data center guy, Mm-mm. Sorry. <laughs> not, yeah. I mean, maybe Intel should take a page. You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if the folks at Intel are watching, but maybe you should take a page out of the NVIDIA playbook. But I think Tim's point is spot on. Listen, all you're doing now is nitpicking in terms of the quarter. Gross margins could have been a little bit better. Yeah. Maybe gaming could have been a touch better. They gave you fourth quarter guidance, which I think was fine. What I think happened here are a couple things. Obviously, the, today's market's working against them in the after hours, number one. Number two, the September high, and Steve can speak to this, you know, 580 or so. We traded up there beginning of September. We traded up there again a week or so ago. Armchair technicians uh, will take a look at and say potential double top. If you have not forayed into this name, I think you want to try to figure out where to buy it. And it makes sense somewhere between the September low, which I think was 475 or thereabouts, up to $500. Again, I have no idea if it's getting there. But you should definitely have that on your radar screen as an entry point. Steve, is this a growth tech stock that gets sold with the growth trade overall if the economy looks better? Or is this a second derivative stay-at-home play? Yeah, it's, it's both. And unfortunately, the, the former is going to outweigh the latter. And to Guy's point, it topped out in September at 589. This month, it topped out at 587. For the last couple of uh, days slash weeks, it's been hugging the 50-day, which is 530-ish. Right now, it's below. It's 527. So I do like selling this. I, I think it's one, it's one of my favorite names. But unfortunately, the headwind of, as you, as you framed it, value versus growth, that will win out in the end. You've got to be buying value here, not this one. All right. We've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The Max is back. 
What does Boeing 737 MAX ungrounding mean for the airline industry? Those details next. And later, want your portfolio to blast off? Well, options traders are betting on an all-out-of-this-world move for shares of Virgin Galactic. That trade is coming up. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back to Fast Money. The MAX is back. The FAA clearing Boeing, Boeing 737 MAX to fly again. The fleet has been grounded for nearly two years after crashes killed a total of 346 people. Boeing chairs giving up early gains in the news and closing in the red. Our Phil Lebeau joins us now with all the details. Hey, Phil. You know, Melissa, this stock was up, I think, about 20, 24 percent in the five days leading into today. I mean, everybody's known that the MAX was going to be ungrounded soon by the FAA. So there was no surprise in the announcement today. Nonetheless, this was a stock that, you know, boy, nice move that they've had since middle of October, uh, end of October. And you're seeing that reflected in the stock trading over $200 a share. Just to bring you up to speed, and I know you talked about this, Melissa, how far, how long ago it was that the MAX had the first accident. Look at this timeline of what this plane has gone through. The first crash was more than two years ago, and then it spent much of last year. The company was going through investigations on Capitol Hill, hearings, uncovered damaging details about the development of the MAX, as well as the relationship between Boeing and the FAA. And then earlier this year, that's when things really started to change. It was actually late last year, earlier this year, that you had these text messages that came out about engineers at Boeing and mocking the FAA. New CEO Dave Calhoun stepped in and said, okay, shut down production. We're going to have to cut this, uh, the enrollment by at least 12,000. This was Boeing finally saying, what do we need to do to bring this home, to get the MAX recertified? Then you had Steve Dixon doing a test flight in late October, and then today, finally, the ungrounding of the 737 MAX. Uh, we've talked all day about Boeing and how much it means to the company, but don't forget, there are a couple of important suppliers here. You got GE, GE Aviation, along with its partner, Saffron, the CFM International Joint Venture. They make the engines. Look at the stock move that you've seen for GE. And then you've got Spirit Aerosystems out of Wichita, Kansas. They make the fuselage. Now, a lot of the engines and fuselages, there's some inventory there. It's not like they're just going to ramp up production, but you will start to see them gradually improve production over the next 12 months. As for the airlines, American will start flying the MAX December 29th. That's the first scheduled flight from New York down to Miami, and then gradually they'll add more flights over time. And then you have United. It plans to start flying the MAX in the first quarter. And Melissa, this is what we're going to see not only with the U.S. airlines, but airlines around the world. They will gradually get these planes updated, new software, get the pilot training procedures in place, have the pilots go through the simulators, and over the next six months to a year, you'll start to see the MAX move into these fleets. All right. Phil, thank you. 
Fella Bo, yeah. keeping on top of Boeing. Um, Tim, of course, you fast pitch Boeing November 10th. And since I then, did. shares are up more than 15 percent. So what do you make of this news? Particularly, I mean, Phil had had outlined what still faces the company. There are various probes, a DOJ probe, an SEC investigation. Uh, a lot of the planes still need to be inspected. The ones that were manufactured that are in storage need to be inspected and there need to be FAA mandated fixes still made to them. So there's there's a lot ahead still for this company. Boy, you made it. I don't even know how this thing got past the uh, the, the team with that that negative buildup. But you're right. And and if in fact, this news <laughs> didn't do anything to price targets on the street. And I, it was a little bit of a head fake for investors. If you thought this was a breakthrough moment, it, it's uh, uh, it's a continuation in a very painful, difficult, almost embarrassing uh, moment for the company. And, and the reality is capacity and demand for planes hasn't changed at all. Um, that is changing around the COVID vaccine news we've been getting. And interestingly enough, airlines were actually up today uh, when, despite the fact that Boeing ultimately gave back and finished in the red on this news. Boeing still has 450 planes uh, to find homes for. And, you know, the question is, how opportunistic will the buyers be to try to get price concessions? <laughs> and this is something that I think Boeing's going to have to really fight. Uh, and again, the the Airbus A320 is a more popular plane to begin with, and they don't have a lot of leverage to fight on this one. But it's about free cash flow with Boeing, and, and arguably uh, we're still a ways away from that. But the recovery will be priced into the stock. So I stay long the stock, and I, I think it's, it's you know, the timeline with the vaccine is, is part of that story. If the biggest unknown, Karen, is now known in terms of when it can return to flight, is this a turnaround story that you can invest in? I don't know. Let me push back a little and say, is it the biggest unknown or is the biggest unknown? How healthy will the airlines be and how able will they be to financially to implement all of that buying that we, we thought we saw some of it? We will see, but some of it's been delayed. So I don't know. So I don't completely accept your premise, but I don't own Boeing is the short answer. <laughs> I like I like how you went after the premise guy. How do you feel about that premise? <laughs> It's interesting she brings that up. I mean, I could make the best lemonade in the world, but if people aren't <laughs> thirsty, as they say in the business, you're sort of SOL, right? And I think that's what Karen's point is in terms of Boeing. And listen, I do think this is a turnaround story. And by the way, Tim Power pitched it, and it's up 15%, but he was in the bullpen with that sucker long before. So good for him and, and good for him being steadfast. But I think even Tim would agree on a day where Boeing trades three times normal volume, trades up to basically the June high and reverses, that's that's a bit concerning. The same, by the way, with Spirit Aerospace. If you go and look at that chart, it's the same exact thing on three times normal volume. So although I think the analysts will wind up being right, the question is, where does it trade first? And I think given the tape, given the reversal, given the volume, given the news that's out, I think it's reasonable to see it back down to 175, 180, and then you buy it again. All right. So what does Boeing's ungrounding mean for airlines. Let's bring in Sheila Kayaglu, Jeffrey's analyst. She joins us on the fast line. Sheila, great to have you with us. I'm going to start off with a question that I posed to the panel here in terms of the biggest unknown. And, and for you, what do you think the biggest unknown is at this point? Is it is it whether or not people return to flying? I think the biggest unknown is removed, Melissa. And, you know, we were waiting for two catalysts. One was the vaccine and two was the, the max airworthiness directive. And I think why today is such a big deal, even though it was known is it's going to remove 14 billion of inventory over on Boeing's balance sheet over the next three years. So for us, that's positive. We just actually initiated on the airline sector yesterday. Our call here is you want to buy domestic airlines, so Southwest first, 
over internationally exposed airlines. And that's where the narrow bodies like the 737 MAX flies to. So that's where we think traffic will return to normalized levels by 2023. Um, so I think some of the biggest unknowns are actually removed now. Do you feel confident that uh, airlines won't look for concessions with regard to price on these planes that have been mothballed in the desert for months and months? For sure. Um, that's a big reason why we took our Boeing free cash flow number down massively in October is we removed, we had about $5 billion or so free cash flow generation for 2021. Now we're down $3 billion. And a lot of that, Melissa, is because these airlines already prepaid some of what they were expected to receive. So those prepayments are going to be a lot smaller uh, next year. And it's a big $4 billion headwind to Boeing next year. So those concessions are being factored in. Sheila, something that Tim says, and I've talked about as well, I mean, do they get any credit, they being Boeing, for their, for their basically their defense component of their company? It seems to me, I mean, maybe the last couple of weeks notwithstanding, uh, that portion of the company was being devalued entirely. Agree. Um, I think that investors have had a significant risk tolerance appetite as the, uh, as the vaccine has come in. Um, and seen, you know, the multiple obviously rebate on Boeing and the discussions on normalized free cash flow are super. Sheila, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your time. Sheila Kayaglu of Jeffries. Uh, Steve, since you love Would You Rather, I'll throw that back at you. Boeing or the airlines? Well, I don't own Boeing, and I do own Spirit, and I like the way she sort of navigated that and narrated the story that uh, international will be slower to recover, domestic will be faster. So she had picked uh, LUV. I have SAVE, Save Spirit Airlines. I'm staying along that one. I would look to make some sales in Boeing, although congratulations to Tim, and it definitely broke out of this recent trading range. But I do see, I don't know, if I had to be aggressive, I could say 165, this thing coming back in, because there's no real reason for it to rip higher than what Guy said, that high that we've seen uh, a couple of months ago in June of 234. I do like the fact that they have a defense, a space and security business that earns them 26, over 26 billion per year. But the commercial plane side is over 30 billion probably not coming on as quick as we would like. In the airline trade, Tim, I'm curious, what, what's the winning force? Is it the vaccine news or is it the rising COVID cases that we're facing right now? Or, or it's investor sentiment. I, I mean, you know, you've gotten to a place where we're no longer, and the updates, if you listen to the airlines, were not about liquidity anymore, right? They're about recovery. They were about, uh, you know, when you begin to see, you know, capacity makes a little bit more of a sense, but it's not even really that conversation. So I, I just think a change in sentiment is part of where airlines are going to go. Uh, they were untouchable for most people. And, and I think you've gotten to a place where we're not, again, we, we know where liquidity is for all the major carriers through 21, which at least for now uh, is enough confidence, I think, to wade in and make assessments about when these guys can. No one's talking about normalized earnings here. They are talking about that in other sectors. No question, Leisure recovers, uh, as the analyst just talked about. So that's Allegiant. Uh, that, that's even Southwest uh, before the big international business travels. And there's a lot of expectation that that doesn't come back overnight. But the trade is about the change in sentiment and the recovery being beginning to be priced in. Uh, you don't stay here forever, but I think there's still a ways to go. All right, coming up, Bitcoin, back to levels we have not seen in three years. What should the HODL gang do here? Uh, we're, we're charting the path forward, but first, we've got a new fast pitch on deck. 
Gross has got the one name he says you should just press play on. Yep, that was a hint. <laughs> Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Steve Grasso is taking the mound and winding up for a fast pitch. And Steve, this has been your final trade recently. I think last week even. It's up big in the after-hour session. What are you looking at? So when you look at Sonos, right, I, I've pitched this a, a couple of times as far as my uh, final trades. But what do you do with it now when the stock is up 24% off on the back of earnings? Well, I think the story actually becomes a little bit stronger, stronger Melissa. They have a net cash balance sheet. High margin products are in the most demand uh, as far as the premium stuff that they're selling. Plus, they're probably going to have a new product either year end or very soon in 2021. Now, what do you do with the stock and when it trades this high? No one's going to blame you for taking a profit on on this stock. It's been an incredible run. And before earnings, the stock was up 20 percent in 20 days. So this one is all over the map. For me, I think you have a little bit left in the tank. I'm playing this thing for $28 to $30. And I think there is where you kind of settle in and reassess. But I think this thing can go much higher from here. But once again, when it's up 25% on the back of earnings and after hours, no one's going to blame you if you want to ring the register. Karen, you got a question? I do. So, Steve, first of all, great call. I know you've had it for a while. Uh, at $2.2 billion-ish so or market cap, is a takeover anywhere in your, your upside story? Yeah. So, originally, you know, for me, uh, it was going to be anybody with a connected home speaker, I think, would be a great uh, a, a takeout. Tar- this would be a great takeout target for. So, think Amazon, think Apple. And obviously there's been some uh, litigation, some legal litigation with Google. But who knows? Maybe Google wants to make that go away and take them out. And that's why I get to that $30 number, uh, Karen. So definitely part of the story, not the reason for the story. All the bears in this name say that they didn't have any recurring revenue. Well, they just started their HD streaming radio. They have recurring revenue now. So guys are starting to cover People are starting to scramble on this. I think it can go higher from here, with or without that M&A activity story component as well. Tim, you got a question. Hey, yeah, hey, Steve. Again, I have to echo you know, an excellent call and certainly one of those companies that looked very troubled until we all realized that people wanted to stay at home and listen to beautiful music and, and while they're <laughs> stressed about everything else. But have they, how much have they pulled forward? And again, this DTC dynamic, I think, was very important for the company. I, I just wonder what, what's, what's the next lever that they can pull or the impetus for the stock uh, you know, as COVID is hopefully winding down? So the, the reason why people were lining up as headwinds, Tim, if you remember the earnings last time around, is they, they had the demand, they just didn't have the supply. Now the direct-to-consumer component of this, they're figuring out how to handle that supply to meet that demand. Disney is actually uh, has a JV with these guys. I, who knows? Maybe even Disney could take them out. What's the next component? People start to see that this is the premium product. People start to see that the product that everyone is reaching for has the highest multiple. And I think it's still a back-to-work and a stay-at-home play. So I think that HD radio, Tim, is going to be the next driver when you have that recurring revenue of monthly income coming in. I think that's the next lever they could start to pull. I know we have no time. 
but I have to ask a stupid question. And no questions are stupid, I guess. But Steve, what is HD radio? Yeah, it's just a it's just a premium sound radio. I mean, when okay. when you start to you know listen to these two things, it's night and day. All right. I mean, HD because I associate HD with video, and so I was just wondering what the, what the audio component of HD would be. Um, no more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying Steve's pitch on Sonos, Guy? What would you say? Can you read my board no, now or no? No, it's blank. No, you know, yeah, it is blank. But that's not blank because that's one of the speakers. <laughs> well done, Steve. Stock buyback, 68% growth year over year in direct-to-consumer. Oh, and by the way, inventories were down big, which means margins will hold in. Listen, it probably does a little back and fill, but I think his $30 price target is reasonable. Tim, what do you say? Uh, real quick, I- I'm tone deaf on this. I'm sorry. I, I have to hold a great pitch, uh, except for the fact that I think a lot of the best days in the stock for this cycle are, are in it. All right. Karen, your vote. <laughs> Yeah, I feel dumb I don't own it. But if I did, I wouldn't be selling it here. So that's the same as a buy. All right. The traders nice have call, vo- Steve. The traders have voted. Now it's your turn. Are you buying Grasso's Fast Pitch on Sonos? Head to our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money to cast your vote. Up next, Bitcoin blasting off toward three-year highs. But the chart master says it might be time to take some chips off the table. Carter Worth is charting the crypto craze when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Bitcoin on an absolute tear, crossing the $18,000 mark overnight for the first time since December 2017. The chart master called the huge breakout all the way back in June, but now he is saying it could be time to cut back on the crypto. Car- Cornerstone Macros Carter Work joins us uh, with the charts. Hey, Carter, take it away. Well, I think that's the right word, a tear. And so the question is, uh, do you reduce or trim into this move? And I think the answer is yes. Let's look at a few charts. The first of three. Uh, This is uh, Bitcoin as of July. And what we have here, of course, is uh, the cryptos right up against the downtrend line, in effect, since the all-time high in December of 2018. Now, if you look at the next chart, we have this very clear breakout. Uh, And that's sort of the the move that is interesting. It's a double. Essentially, we were stuck at 9,000. Here we are at 18,000. But you can also see the level we're approaching, which is the former high. Uh, Third chart, final chart, let's talk about it a little bit. In principle, a stock, a currency, commodity, anything uh, that uh, gets back to a former high will often contend with it before exceeding it. And while we're not quite at that high, that high was 19,500, and where today's high was 18,500, we're within five, six percent. So the thinking is here to start to reduce and if and as we were to get as high as the former high, uh, to start to reduce even more. It's very unusual to break out before backing and filling or backing away from a, a prior uh, well-defined spike high, such as we saw in December of 2017, exactly three years ago. Wow. Carter, thank you. Carter Worth at Cornerstone Macro. Karen, what do you make of that chart? Well, I, hard to bet against Carter, right? However, I'm in this sort of for the long term. Early on, I got my money back, and so I sort of feel like I'm playing with the house's money, and the, the, the theory has yet to play out if we do see inflation. I'm a longer-term holder of Bitcoin, so right. I'm hanging on. Up next are share, shares of Virgin Galactic heading to the moon. That big trade would be spotted today in the options market. That's next.
Welcome back. Shares of Virgin Galactic heading for the moon today. And over in the options market, traders are betting the stock is about to go interstellar. Mike has got the action. Mike. A speculative stock, a volatile stock, typically trades about 100,000 contracts a day. It traded three times that amount today. And actually, we saw the most active activity in the December 28 strike calls, significantly out of the money. The buyers were paying about a dollar for those calls, betting that the stock could rise significantly by the week before Christmas, not looking at the July highs, but possibly pre-pandemic highs to see those be profitable. Wow. Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe for more Options Action. Full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, the results of Steve's fast pitch on Sonos. Are you buying it? Your last chance to vote. Head on over to Twitter at CNBC Fast Money to weigh in. The results and final trades are next. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's time to find out if viewers at home are buying Steve's fast pitch on Sonos. For the first time, I haven't looked. So we'll reveal this to America at the same time that we find out right now. <laughs> Unfortunately, Steve, this pitch fell on deaf ears. Nearly 60% of voters were not buying it. So you get some Tony. I get it. Yeah. I, t- I mean, it's up I, I 24% it. percent after yep. hours. Um, time for the final That's trade. Right. Let's do it. Uh, let's go around the horn. Tim. Is that the dance mix he got? I mean, yeah, it, you know, with really that kind bad, of performance, right? you, you, you need... Yeah, wow. You know, I mean, it was it was a great pitch by Steve. Anyway, uh, $100 table, Macy's. It's probably the $1,000 table. Uh, I stayed long into earnings. Karen. Yeah, Lowe's. I thought the stock was just way overdone. It wasn't like it was crazy expensive. I know normally a three-day rule, but I actually yeah. bought some into today. So Lowe's. <laughs> Buy low. Steve. I totally get the Sonos thing. I understand why people bet against it, but just think. If you would have bet against it when it ran up 20% ahead of earnings, now it's up 24%. Going much higher, Sonos is my final trade. I get it. If you want to sell it, I'm staying long. Guy, original Tony Braxton, greater, less than, or equal to dance version. They all, they all are miserable. My friend Alan just texted me, said oh, my hair on. looks great. I appreciate that. Letter W, Wayfair, Mel. There's a new name. All right. Thanks for watching Fasty. Back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.